Welcome to the RevOps Review. I'm your host, Jeff Ignacio, and we're going to be bringing on a special guest today, someone that I admire, someone I look up to and connect with on a frequent basis to learn not just about revenue operations, but all sorts of you know high-level business acumen and entrepreneurship, which we'll dig into in his background. But Andy Mowat will be joining us. He successfully scaled unicorns such as Upwork, Box, and Culture Amp. I may have heard of these companies throughout his career. And with a focus on revenue operations and marketing, he has sent billions of emails and developed a platform that addresses digital noise on all platforms. In addition to his professional accomplishments, Andy invests in and advises tech companies focused on revolutionizing technology, data, and communication. Andy, great to have you on. It's great to be here, man. I Likewise, I, I talk to a lot of people and they're like, who should I follow in RevOps? Or who's got great content? And I always send them toward, towards your profile as well, too. So good to connect. Uh, fun to riff. I appreciate that. You know, one document that I've always gone back to was your kind of operating guide. You had like a five module um, uh, post on LinkedIn a couple of years ago. And it was something that I actually reciprocate and point folks to as well. Uh, so I really want to thank you for that. One topic that I wanted to dig in with you a little bit today was, you know, really thinking through the decision-making processes that happens at companies and, you know, the data, uh, you know, online, we're always talking about all the data that's out there and how it drives our decisions. But in reality, I think it goes beyond data and gets into, you know, insights. And the powerful thing about insights is that we've taken the opportunity to take a look at the data, understand, you know, what could be and assess either opportunities or threats and communicate that to our business partners in order to you know, achieve some sort of common outcome. I'd be curious to think uh, your take on you know, how you think about turning data and refining it into insights. Yeah, we had a really good, like I spent four last four years before Gated at CultureAmp. I worked with the best boss I ever had. We took the company from like 4 million to 80 million in ARR. We got, they gave us the, the money to do the right things. Obviously we had to like make the right arguments for it. But we had, we got we had the ability not just do like RevOps reactively, but RevOps proactively and be a strategic partner. And I think a key part of that is data, like bringing the data, bringing the insights to the conversations. Um, so maybe to make it more practical, like we, I think a lot of people are living in RevOps and I'd be curious where you've gotten to on this, Jeff. I'm betting at some of the bigger companies you have, but a lot of people are living in, I've got my CRM, I've got my marketing automation, I've got all my systems, like, and I can use those reporting tools. And if you want me to go further, yeah, I can export it from here or from here and do a quick analysis. But we had the ability to like, we went out and built what is oftentimes termed the modern data stack. And we built a data warehouse with the right analytics, got the right team. And it's really obvious, like we could answer a lot of questions and create a lot of metrics that you couldn't get out of those systems. Um, so if you want, I can kind of go deep on one or two examples if that's valuable. Yeah, I'd love that. You know, but first I keep thinking about the data warehousing strategy. So much of the data is housed in either your CRM for the marketing organization. It's going to be in their marketing automation platform for your, you know, customer usage metrics. They're going to be sitting in the Postgres or some sort of product database. And all of that, all of these data points could be, you know, combined and used in ways to answer the question of what's happening to this customer from you know 360 degree view and that's not something that just you just turn on automatically with buying all these new tools so i would love to dig into an example with you on that 
Yeah, absolutely. And like you referenced my handbook, there's a chapter in the handbook on data, right? Like what do you need to do? Like data and it talks deeply about like, what are the questions you can answer, can't answer and like how we went about it. And I'll keep updating that as we go. Um, but to give some specific examples, um, pipeline coverage is a great one, right? How much pipeline did you go into the quarter with? And what did you end up winning uh, around that pipeline? Like that is a core metric that we used at Box to be able to, we were looking at everything, which is prior to the quarter start, like how is marketing and sales building that pipeline? And then once the quarter starts, how does that pipeline shift or hand or close or win or or whatever, right? And so there's there's some beautiful metrics around that, which is depending upon segment and size and win rates, you're going to need somewhere between like two and a half and four and a half times pipeline coverage. And so it created the right dialogues and the right discussions. But here's the thing, you can't get that data out of Salesforce because you can't say what was the value of this opportunity two months ago. You can kind of look at it with like field history and everything like that and kind of do it for a single opportunity. But if you want to do it across the entire thing and see it in real time at any point in time, you need data. You need to have that data out and you can do it with the field history and the information, but you just can't do it at scale. And so we were able to do things like that, where every week we were looking at how's pipeline coverage working, how's it building. You know, we would look and be like, "Whoa, pipeline just spiked!" In or actually, typically would like pipeline just dropped in this. What happened? And it's like, well, it sounds like the managers had a conversation with other people about updating forecasts that week. And so, or no, actually, there was shifting of this pipeline from here to the next month or next quarter. And so it really created the right cadence across all the different functions. I keep thinking of a couple of examples of my pipeline swings that I can't really explain that easily. Like a one would be a comical fat finger, right? Someone adds an extra zero by accident and they need to go in and update their CRM. The second one would be, yeah, it's our initial conversations and I'm just putting in our most aggressive pricing possible. We're in ballpark. We haven't gotten down to a, a narrow range. So those are some you know comical ways where my pipeline is you know, swinging and it's hard to explain it to my, my sales leader and the fact that if I snapshot the data point at a specific point in time and that data point had not been corrected, when I walk into those pipeline reviews or those deal calls, those deal reviews, um, I'm coming in with pipeline that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're um, right. And I think what I what, what pipeline coverage is great is because it bridges the gap between marketing and sales, right? Like I think a lot of people are like, I've done sales ops, now I call myself rev ops. I think you and I think about it a little differently, which is like I came from post-sale ops, marketing ops, and then added rev ops. And so I think about how do you create those common discussions, right? And when you're talking about what is the pipeline and how does it close, when, and who's bringing what, it, it, it's it's not just even a pipeline review meeting. It's like an executive level meeting across functions, which if you're rev ops and you're facilitating that, puts you in a much better position. So I'm curious with that data warehouse, you had to build a business case potentially to bring on these other parts of your data stack and then once you brought in that data stack, you had to bring in the right team members, potentially with the right skill set, whether they're on your team or potentially a consulting group. How did you think about building that investment case? And then before that, even recognizing that you needed to, and then when you were in the thick of it, like what were those steps to build out that modern insights engine? Yeah, um, it's funny. I was literally just looking at the deck that I used to build that case this morning because I was talking to the great folks at uh, Boost Up around you know, how they're, how they're doing things. Um, and, um, you know, I think for me first, like I started to understand how data could use things differently. And I think that was definitely credit to 
one or two folks on my team that were really passionate about the data side. And I started listening and started reading and reading a lot of the literature around like what's possible and trying to understand it. And I think we took some baby steps and then, you know, you have to, you're right. Like if you're going to do the modern data stack today, you got to go out and get a data engineer or two for revenue, which is a very unique skill set. Um, you've got to help people understand that this is going to take time to build this and do that. So I, I had a really fun presentation. I think I had like Kim Jong-un in a, in a slide and stuff where you really got to shake people up. And it's not, it's like, you got to trust me on this journey that we're about to go on. And, 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 you know, that's a interesting, hard bet to take. I do think there are some really cool companies that I spend a lot of time with. Like I see, you know, the Sinkari folks and, and different folks like that, that, are helping RevOps make that transition easier um, and easier, but it's still hard. Yeah, I think there's certainly the um, the old way of doing it, which is you know ETLs or reverse ETLs, pumping in the data and then creating derivative tables with a strong SQL background. And then there's the no-code, low-code options that are now emerging, which I think widens up the number of staff and personnel that can help support uh, those data stacks, which I think is hugely interesting. So, you know, one of the three truths that I've been trying to or will be focusing on with, you know, this new podcast that we've launched is the first is that, you know, RevOps needs to be the single source of truth. And part of that is, you know, an end to end customer experience would be practically impossible without that data orchestration. So I'm curious to hear from you. You get you talked about an example with pipeline coverage ratio, which is a partnership between marketing and sales. Um, and you talked about post-sales ops. I'd be curious about an example where the data helped inform some changes on that post-sales side of the house. Yeah, easy one there. Um, you go and you add, you have an opportunity for renewal. Um, and we at CultureAmp had added a second product, right? So people would show up with the first product and they would add the second product onto the, the renewal off where you'd even default it on there. And they'd talk to the customer and the customer would be like, yeah, I don't want that. And so they'd take it off. But the, how could I report on the deal cycle for that discussion, How, you know, like what conversations were had during that time and the win rates of second product, like it just disappeared from Salesforce when they removed it from the renewal op, right? And so if you're able to snapshot that data in a data warehouse every evening or, or at some interval, you're able to tell that story in a much better way, right? It's actually not even day by day because you're able to look at the opportunity field history and all that stuff and tell that story. So, you know, we were able to, the head of account management was like, I just don't know what my win rate for this new product is. I don't know how long the sales cycles take. Um, and, you know, he could guess and put his finger in the wind, but like, why shouldn't you be able to know that conclusively? So I'm actually solving for that right now with, you know, my CRM and the way I think about it is, we can easily report on win rates at the opportunity or at the deal level, but if you don't have great process that introduces, you know, what is that land and expand motion by adding product lines? So typically you'll have some sort of lost leader or an introductory product, and then you want, you want to move on to kind of a larger expansion, which may be more of the same product, but in reality, it's probably an upgrade to a different solution that has hopefully a higher margin profile for the business. And it's ultimately going to lead to the inevitable need to report on the opportunity hyphen product level. And I think that's really interesting. You know, one thing that I've uh, admired about your previous uh, experiences is that you've led some highly talented folks. I'd be curious about the skill sets that, you know, you looked for when you were hiring and building up your team. And then where did your team members need to sharpen, you know, their 
their knives or their pencils in order to keep up with kind of the, the modern data stack? Yeah, kind of two questions there. I guess first is just, I tend to hire other than maybe like the leaders, you know, the director levels, I tend to hire from within. Um, in RevOps, and I think you, I, I've just had so much success with it over the years, right? Like at Box, we had this course where they taught SQL to anyone in the company that wanted to and the data model of the company, which I thought was a brilliant idea. So I took the course twice. I'd always get like pulled out to a meeting and so I'd have to keep retaking it. Not because I failed the test because I just missed half the classes, but I'd always like figure out who the smartest kids were in that and hire them, right? So I took one kid who was, I think, a sales ops analyst and I and he was just a brilliant guy. And actually I'm writing down and I got to go ping Sam and say hi. Um, and uh, and he ended up running marketing analytics for us and um, you know was super, super sharp. And so... I guess I've got a fun article in my handbook around like the characteristics and the personalities I look for in RevOps. I think it's more like a mindset than a skill set, right? Like, I don't know about you. I was self-taught, right? Like I just, you know, Google and Salesforce, like I figured it out and I figured out HubSpot and Marketo all on my own. And so I think the right people are able to manage up, able to like just intellectual curiosity and are able to to deal with a lot of those things. And so for me, skill set wise, like I'm looking more for how people tick and I've gotten pretty good at like interviewing for that. That's great. I am self-taught, like you mentioned there. Um, there were I came from a finance background and before moving into go-to-market operations. And when I was first brought into a quote unquote sales ops role, my primary responsibility was to take a look at the pipeline and look at the analytics. But then over time, the role started to evolve into, hey, you need to manage CRM. CRM wasn't something that I had managed before. And so I had to learn a lot of the, 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 you know, the tips of the trade or the craft in order to make CRM um, work for our business. Uh, another thing that you know, I came from, which was a superpower, was that I was the kind of the SQL instructor for uh, my finance team. So I was teaching the SQL skill set uh, to, to my various peers. And they were using that because, quite frankly, we had a fairly um, strong self-serve culture over at Google. And the data wasn't always readily available in a canned report, which you can download. So you needed to be able to navigate the different uh, filters or the data sets to, in order to get to the answers that you needed. Um, and so you know, that was a superpower, uh, at least for me individually. And it led me to hopefully some future success uh, in kind of my other roles. But you mentioned, uh, shout out to Sam, by the way, I know you're going to reach out to him, but thinking through your, your superstar teams and one truth that I think is important is, you know, uncovering the hidden insights that are somewhat hidden from siloed teams. And with that, I'd love to hear about a story where, you know, data was sitting in here and needed to be brought up to the rest of the company. How did, how did your, you and your team break down those silos? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, so I showed up at Coltramp um, and I sat down and said, where's the product data? How are you, how are you doing risk and all of it risk rating and how, how are you handling that? And they said, we don't have it. We can't get it. And I said, well, that's impossible. Like you just gotta, you gotta. So I reached out to the chief product officer and CTO and they were even in Australia and we got on the phone and built a relationship with them and, basically said like, this is why we need the data. Um, can we define like how the product data plugs into the CRM data and kind of like as kind of an API. And then can you figure out that like, these are 
this is like how we need to pump it in. And these are the data points I need. And, you know, I explained to them why it was important. And three weeks later we had it. Right. And so it's like, I think you've got to be able to be very clearly articulate, like, why do I need the data? How am I going to use it? And, you know, it worked out really well. Um, and, you know, Box, you know, I took a lot of the lessons I had, right? At Box and at probably every company, we would have multiple instances of the product underneath one account. And so you couldn't just have a instance to account mapping. And I took that same thing with Coltramp, right? Where we, we might have, literally, I think we had like one hotel chain where every hotel was a different instance of the employee feedback data and it made sense. And so if we hadn't thought those types of things through in terms of the mapping and the architecture, it would have been a mess. Um, and so we, we thought about all that stuff. So yeah, we were able to very quickly, probably in three months, move from flying blind with CS to adding objective and subjective risk scoring, which I'm a big fan of both in the conversations there. And when you mentioned objective and subjective, it immediately leads me to a uh, concept where you pair the data with the anecdotes because the data itself should be the empirical truth, but we all know that at times there's more to the story and that's where the anecdotes come in. That's where the qualitative aspects of what you learn from either your SDRs, your sales team, your marketers, they're bringing in that rich insight that might not leap off the page in terms of a data point, but combined together, you get some real strong insights into how a business can perform. I agree, but... I like the conflict of the objective and the subjective. Um, so I want to be in a meeting where I'm saying the objective data says this is red. You say it is green. Why? And vice versa. You're saying it's at risk. Every data in our system says it's green. Um, what do you know that we don't know? And so I think that I try to create intentional conflict, but not like conflict, conflict, but like forced discussions. Cause I think the danger is sometimes like, Oh yeah, the data's saying that. Yeah, yeah, it's good. We're good. We're good. We're good. Keep moving on. And I think for me, it's like, how do I give my managers and the teams that I lead and my, my business partners, the data to like challenge what people are saying rather than have that, that, that anecdotes be reinforcing. So the goal there is not to, kick a hornet's nest for the sake of doing it, but to put some sparring gloves on and potentially, you know, jostle with the business. One thing that I think of pretty commonly around that is a concept of constructive confrontation. Con confrontation is a wonderful thing because it allows everyone to bring different angles to the same problem. And through that this discourse, you're able to at least come up with, you know, one of multi multiple paths which the business can take. Uh, Cause you know, the outcome is never clear when you're looking ahead, but at least you can start to have a, an idea of the different range of outcomes because you've started to talk things out with your peers. I do love the idea of kind of hashing it out. I did want to pivot a little bit to, you know, your experience as an entrepreneur, right? You're solving a lot of problems that, uh, quite frankly, I've been dealing with. You know, folks are always trying to sell me technology. Uh, let's talk about Gated a little bit and, you know, why you pivoted from, you know, internal operator to entrepreneur. Yeah, it wasn't that I needed to start something. Um, I, I I think I've always been like the number two that scales things. I, I hacked this together while at Culture Amp, right? I was just getting sold to so much and I was getting emails every day that were just irrelevant. So I wrote an email and said, I don't know you. Here's my Venmo. If you want to donate 10 cents, I'll take your, uh, uh, I will read your email. And people started donating like 20 bucks, 50 bucks. And I'm like, okay, there's something to this. 
So I built it and gave it to 10 of my friends. You know, I think as RevOps people were really good at configuring. So I learned all these no-code tools like Airtable and Zapier and things like that to be able to to do it. Um, and I kind of reached this point where I was like, is th- this is really exciting. I'm passionate about it, right? Like we've all helped. There's, I always say there's 10,000 tools helping sellers and marketers, pummel buyers. And at Gated, we, were, we are building the first tool to help buyers defend themselves. It's very radical and I think it pushes thinking differently. Um, we, we started off in email and uh, by the time this thing launches, we'll probably be live with our platform for every channel. Um, I think we've learned a lot from email and we're taking the next big swing at it as well too. So it's, um, it's fun. I mean, I, I didn't, I'm more of a relationship person than an outward facing person. Although I think my personality online may come across outward facing, but I kind of vary between, um, extrovert and introvert. And it was a big decision for me to like leave a good role with culture amp and a great team. That's all still there and all still intact. Um, two years ago, they're still all there um, to um, go start this thing and take a chance. That's amazing. I would say this about Gated. It's really transformed you know, my inbox. It sends me signals, really cuts out the noise. And it's kind of a corollary theme that I wanted to touch on next. You know, Now as, a, as an entrepreneur, you're probably generating a ton of data with your service. I'm curious about some learnings that you've had over the last you know, couple of months with the data that you've gleaned and how that's informed the direction of your business. Yeah. I mean, we're, it's such different data than we're all used to in RevOps. So it's very interesting and it's not in the traditional systems, right? Like people are paying him and be like, what CRM are you using? We're not, uh, we're kind of like naked and full PLG. Um, I mean, I definitely learned a lot about product side and I, I have a deeper appreciation for product. I would say that, you know, just maybe to, some of the cool things we've learned from this data are, people do donate um, and the the reply rate on a typical email before gated is like one to 2%. And if you make a donation, it's 45 to 50% reply rate, which is just amazing. Right? So the core thesis of can we kill the noise and increase and make better relationships is absolutely there. By the time the people listen to this, our new, we've turned off sign up for the old email platform and now it's only for the new one. So Jeff, you're grandfathered in, you get to keep the email product, but uh, we're launching the new platform in, in a couple of days. I'd say other kind of nuanced things that maybe haven't been data, but I think that we've just really understood are, it's impossible. I think, I believe that it will be impossible, especially with the coming wave of AI to fully and accurately filter email that's sent um, after it's been sent. And so, you know, at Gated, we never really were a filter, but a lot of people wanted to believe we were. Um, But Google's tried to build a filter. It's called spam. If it's aggressive, if it's too aggressive, it doesn't work. And if it's not aggressive enough, you're like, why the heck do I have this thing in the first place? And you curse spam. Um, So our new product and our new platform is really focused on how do we influence the messages before they get sent? you know, was that there's that Keanu Reeves movie or, or whatever it is where they're swimming and trying to see the future and everything. But I, I think we've figured out some cool ways to like help people understand what's important to you and guide messages. So that's maybe not a perfect answer to the question you were asking around data, but it's we've learned a lot about communication. Well, I think it's really good. Um, the insight is really what I'm trying to gravitate towards, and you're using that gra- you're using that insight to kind of build your product offering. 
Uh, I'd love to pivot back to kind of your RevOps experience um, in leading the teams uh, and insight that was a bit of an aha um, uh, behind. Um, we talked about person, uh, the, the coverage ratio. Be curious, like another aha that you know kind of surprised even even yourself. Maybe not a data aha, and this may steal some of the thunder. And we were going to try and talk about tips at the end, but is RevOps. Don't just say you can do everything that people ask you to do, right? Like I see RevOps people get run over all the time when they're like, oh, I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. Um, And it's important and incumbent upon you to force people to make trade-offs. And so I think the power of forcing people to make trade-offs and like, okay, I can do this thing, but I but it's actually ninth on the list because of these other eight things that I believe are more important for the business. And so I can't give you a timeline versus like, oh yeah, I got it. I got it. Don't worry. Right. You're going to disappoint the stakeholder on the first, on the, oh, I got it. I got it. But if you give them a reasonable, like, Hey, I can do this, but it's going to push these other things out of the way. I think you can, you become a lot more effective as a RevOps person. I think that's counterintuitive, right. To say, to say no and to force trade-offs. You're reading my mind a little bit because I was about to leap into this do's and don'ts section that I had written down for us. And what you're saying is, you know, I can do this, but should you? And then you started going into a prioritization conversation around, we could do this, but there's not enough daylight in the day or there's not enough skills on the team. or not, not enough budget left to go over to this. And so you have to create these trade-offs. You get to a place where you have to force a stack ranking of some sort. Um, you know, I'm curious about the the don'ts and um, around prioritization. Like, how do you think about prioritization? Because you're building out a, a business, and there's all these probably features that could go on your product roadmap. There's all these requests on your RevOps roadmap when you were a practitioner. You know, what's your general guidance on you know how to think through prioritization? I think what's important. I mean, I think you every RevOps person needs to be able to prioritize, right? Like, put your business hat on across all the functions you work with and say, this is what I believe. Don't wait for somebody else to tell you what's important because you're going to get run over, right? That That's the difference between like a director plus and a sub-director level in my mind is you're just going to get steamrolled if you're like, okay, so tell me the priority. I think what I always look for in my teams is they can say the priority and then I think they have to verbalize where is it? And then I think you got to be open to So I, I would say to people like, hey, that thing's ninth on the list. Here's what's above it. If you want, let's go in and talk to the CRO or the CEO and we can debate this out and we can totally change it. Like I'm not set on it, but this is my belief. And nine times out of 10, they'll be like, oh, no, no, no. It's okay. You're right. Like I, I, I trust your thing. And then they start to accept it, right? Like I had a brilliant dude who was running a group, one of the stakeholders, and he was all constantly down on the list. And, you know, but we explained to him why. And I think he understood it because he, he had his company had on too. And, you know, the next thing he turned around is like RevOps needs more resources, right? Which is exactly what RevOps wants to hear. I think there's a point where I, you know, I look back at my younger version of myself and I used to solve it by just pouring more, you know, more gasoline on the fire. Just thinking yeah, through, yeah, yeah. I'm just going to work more hours. I'm just going to work on the weekend. I'm just going to do more and more and more and more. Um, and at the end of the day, you get to a point where you physically can't do it. Or two, you're not really thinking about putting the business first because by putting yourself at a mental or physical disadvantage by working so much, you're actually putting the business in a world of hurt in the long term. 
And so, you know, having that ability to look back and say, we need to augment capacity in some significant way or de-scope projects or de-scope items to focus on what matters, uh, ultimately gets the business in the right direction. Because I like to think that RevOps is one of those navigation tools that identifies, here's the original flight path that we were on. But as we're flying the plane, there's all sorts of turbulence or storms or things that get in the way and we deviate from that flight path. And it's us as operators to figure out how do we course correct you know, mid-flight? How do we look ahead and see issues? And how do we make sure that we're guiding the plane on that right track and having your team members be very thoughtful around their trade-offs and having the ability to raise the flag and say, not that I can't do this, it's that should I do this or is there a better way to do it? And I think that's that's a hallmark of leadership that the folks, your, your team can come to you and, um, and recommend that. So yeah, it's, it's the difference between junior mentality and senior mentality. I talked to a RevOps leader the other week and he's like, I'm just getting blown away. And I was like, are you forcing trade-offs? And I walked him through. He's like, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm like, why don't you try it and come back to me? Um, so I, 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 it's, it's, it's a good lesson to learn in life. You know, one of the things that I think is that's not mentioned very much in any handbook and not even the course that I teach is, you know, how do you actually say that? How do you do it, right? And how, how do you do it in a graceful, in a tactful way? Um, and I think there's uh, probably an a entire cottage industry around RevOps coaching to show, no, I can't do that. Well, if you keep saying no all the time, it's going to sound like you're unwilling. But you I think are. It's, it's as simple as saying, here's where it is and here's what's above it. And people accept that really quickly. Um, but if you're like, no, I can't, or the worst is, yes, I can. And then you don't do it on time. Um, like both of those are going to kind of lead to rumbling around these RevOps people aren't very competent. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, I think there's there probably some fine splitting hairs between those two, right? One is, no, no, no. Uh, two, you just seem like unwilling. You're kind of like the stone wall in the business. Second one would be you're over-promising and you're under-delivering. And that, and that to me, that's a, credi- like a strong credibility issue, um, which you know trust is its currency for any revenue operator. So losing that to me, uh, how do you cash in on that? I, I think it'd be very tough. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember that a couple instances where my people are over-promising, under-delivering, but not from bad intent. And you just, you can reframe that pretty quickly. So I did want to start moving into our, our, our closing segment, you know, just kind of career advice. I think we gave plenty during this episode and I think you're a wealth of experience around that. But, you know, what are some top tips that you would share for operators, you know, breaking in or in the mid-level of their career? I'd be very curious to hear what you'd have to say. Yeah. Um, manage up. Um, I have a blog article on my LinkedIn profile around that. I think it's a great career unlock for me. Get fluent in data. Um, you know, I think the world of RevOps is changing to much more of a data-driven world. It's, you know, understand how to do SQLs, the, the systems you are using. And I'm working on an article right now, which is your next CRM will be to be a data warehouse. Um, that's a little aggressive in the statement, but the fundamental underlying thing is I don't think in 10 years, anybody in, in RevOps is going to be configuring in Salesforce. Um, and um, I think it's going to be, it's going to look very different. Um, so, you know, get familiar with data. It's, it's a superpower and um, yeah, force trade-offs, I think is another good one for sure. So you talked about um, managing up. I'd love to dig into that a little bit. Um, you know, when was the first time you came across that topic of managing up and, 
you know, what was that realization? Like, oh, this works. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I don't remember the first time I figured it out. I think you, you know, I've had good bosses and I've had bad bosses. And I think I reflect on maybe junior and career when I had, you know, bad boss here and good boss there. And I'm like, I just wasn't good at managing up with them. And so I could see how I was less effective. And I think when I learned that skill set, it got good. So I don't remember like an aha moment. I think I just, to me, it's a process, right? Like I'm going to run R101 and work in this way. I think when you've had those bad bosses, and they may not be bad bosses. They may just be hard to manage up. You know, those are, those are the tough ones that you learn a lot around for sure. Yeah, I can tell you that uh, one of my team members who reported to me in, in the previous company, I had mentioned something like off the cuff to them, like at like 4.30 p.m., like towards the end of like their workday, end of my workday. And I just mentioned something and it's something like it would be really cool if we could get some insight into answering this specific question. And it's a question that wasn't necessarily that you can just like click on a report add some filters and download it, you would have to download the data from multiple different places, combine it together, run an analysis. And uh, I remember that this individual had basically just steamrolled through the evening, came back to me the next day and it's like, I got the answer. Here's the answer. And I remember thinking like, oh, this is really cool. How long did it take you to put this together? And very quickly, this person was working till like two or 3 a.m. And it, there's this, this insane guilt that I felt um, for like I should not have laid laid this on you at like 4:30 p.m. Sent you on a 12 hour, 11 hour journey. Now you're probably running ragged this morning. I felt just so guilty, and I remember just coaching uh, this individual. I'm like, you know, stop and ask me. When do you want this by? Do you absolutely need this, or give it some space to breathe, and say, you know, I could answer that, but let me give it some thought because I think it's going to take a little bit of time. And I remember little bit later when I asked, I did the same thing again. I was just asking a random question and this person actually pushed back on me and said, Oh, that's really great. In order to answer that, I think it's going to take me quite a bit of time. Where does this rank in terms of all the other priorities? Happy to walk through that with you. And I remember thinking like, you know what? It's actually not that important. Just drop it. <laughs> and easily I could have put this person on an 11 hour uh, plane ride for answering one, one simple, silly question. Yes. Yes. You're absolutely right on that one. Yeah. So you'd mentioned, you mentioned, um, your next CRM, uh, as a data warehouse. Um, uh, I'm really curious about that. Uh, you know, the emergence of AI and technology, uh, you know, where does that come from? Yeah, it's not AI. I mean, it's funny, like I've had a bunch of people comment on it, like AI I've studied deeply and we can talk about that. But to me, I think at a fundamental level, like I was sitting with a RevOps team at a call it, you know, nearing a billion dollars of revenue. And they wanted my thoughts a couple of weeks ago, just on like their architecture. And I'm sitting there in the room and I'm like, your data structure is already so discombobulated. And like, if you change something in Salesforce, but then the UX doesn't change or it's not in the right way. And I'm sitting there. I mean, again, I've had this, I've been working on this thought for two or three years. Um, and, but if you imagine like, why does the system that the rep works in need to be the same system that the data is in? And then why does the data need to be so restricted? And you know, like, why can't you add another column or another data model on top of the, the sales force to be able to do something? So like, I think in the long run, 
I've seen the power of data warehouses. There's some constraints to it that I think people are solving and I'm spending some time on it um, just on the side. And, you know, the companies I advise tend to be around these spaces. But a couple of years from now, like imagine, Jeff, where you have all your data and your models and structures in a data warehouse. You've got a tool that you can like build a sales funnel and then you can push that into the data warehouse, similar to something like what Sweep does. And, um, and then the UA and the rep can have a customized interface for them with the data they need, right? Like we were sitting there in that meeting and you're we like, well, oh, they can't have that data object because it's not on, they, they can't have that data to edit because it's not on that right object, right? And I'm like, oh boy, okay. So this just gets more and more complicated as you go. And so yeah, that's why I like I invested in Scratchpad, right? Because, you know, they're not trying to build the UX on top of a data warehouse yet, but they figured out how to build a really engaging UX and UI for a rep, right? So they've they've kind of an example of where you've divorced the UI from Salesforce. Um, and then, you know, we all pay Salesforce a couple hundred grand a year. Do we really need to? It's probably not the right analogy, but I just keep thinking of uh, the tragedy of the commons or where everyone is in one central area and you start managing or guiding the system to the least common denominator uh, to appease yep. to appease everyone. Um, I think there's something there. I, I'd have to give it some thought. Uh, but Andy, uh, we were completely unscripted today, so I appreciate you dealing with you know my questions back and forth with you. You're a wealth of knowledge. Every single time I have an opportunity to speak with you, it is so valuable, um, not just for me, but hopefully others who are listening. Uh, I'd be I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you if if ever, if anyone wanted to learn a little bit more about you or gated, you know, where can they find you? Gated.com, um, you know, for, for gated, um, my LinkedIn, Andy Mowat, um, you know, feel free to follow me. If you're in RevOps, feel free to drop me an invite. I always love to connect with people that are smart and sharp and aren't selling me anything. And uh, if people send me an email to Andy at gated.com, like I, and they donate, I will reply. <laughs>